Father God, we thank you so much, so much that we are gathered together as a church family celebrating what you do, celebrating the fact that your spirit is with our kids, your spirit is with our ministries, your spirit is with, with our leaders. And Lord, right now we want to ground ourselves, reroot ourselves into that soil that you have asked us to be planted in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh my. As I think about our Pathfinders, I think about someone by the name of Stephen. Come with me to the book of Acts, chapter 6, which is our scripture reading for today. Acts, chapter 6, and verse... We're going to begin with verse 8 and go through our scripture reading, which we'll finish in verse 10. So when you're there, just say that you have it by saying, Amen. Oh, somebody got it. Good. Acts, chapter 6, verse 8, and on. And the Bible says... And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. But they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Who was Stephen? You know, how many of you know Stephen the martyr? That's what he's known by, Stephen the Martyr. But he was a deacon in the church. Now, anybody here a deacon or a deaconess? Just raise your hands. Deacon or a deaconess? I know we give all the attention to the elders and to the pastors, but I want to stop right here and just, uh, just address you deacons and deaconesses. Those of you who come and turn on the lights and open the doors, and you're usually the last ones to turn off the lights and close the door behind everybody. You, you may even be a deacon that shuts off the light while we're still talking. That's perfectly okay. I remember a deacon when I was growing up. Uh, this brother would come, and, and obviously I was a kid chewing gum in the church. The most dangerous thing is to have a kid chewing gum in church because you know where it goes. And I remember uh, Brother Padilla would come and put his hand right in front of my face for the gum. And as a kid, I remember giving him a big wad of gum and other things. But he was a loving guy. He was a deacon. And the Bible says that in the book of Acts chapter 6, there was a need for deacons, and, and, and they chose seven deacons, one of which was Stephen. You see, the widows of, of the Hellenists, the widows weren't being taken care of. And so they decided, the apostles decided, well, we need to go and do other things, so we're going to have to appoint certain individuals to take care of these people. And so they chose deacons, and one of those deacons was Stephen. And the Bible says that Stephen was not only one of the seven deacons, but he was a Hellenist Jew who was, who was born foreign and spoke Greek. He lived in Jerusalem, and from there he became a Christian. As a deacon, he usually engaged other people in discussions, and he, had, he was a, a, a great person of, 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 to discuss the things of God. And he would speak great things. But the Bible says that not only did he speak, but he did great signs. He performed great signs. Stephen did. And he caught people's attention. This deacon that did incredible things. Now, I wonder what he did. He did things that were within the spirit of what had just happened. See, Pentecost happened not too long ago. And I'm sure that the Holy Spirit was still fresh and raw in the life of these new Christians. Stephen was one of those people. He did great signs and miracles. 
Maybe he resurrected the dead. Maybe he was able to pray prayers that were amazing, that brought people to faith. Maybe he was able to explain the cross in a magnificent way. But he performed signs and miracles. The Bible continues to say in verse 11 that they saw him do these things, but when they heard what he had to say in verse 10, rather 11, they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words. You know, as Christians, we are really good in doing good. Anybody can be a Christian that can do good. Some of us are even gifted by the Holy Spirit to do good. And praise God for that. Because Christians, we shouldn't be only sayers of the word, but we should be doers of the word. And Stephen was a good doer of the word, and people liked it when he did. He was a good doer. They paid attention to him. I know there's a lot of us here that are good doers of the word. We're able to give a good faithful tithe and maybe throw in a little bit extra on the plate for offering, and we do that by faith because we love God. Some of us are doers of the word um, because we're able to build things for God. Or we're able to use our hands for pathfinders or or, or adventures or our youth. We're able to do so many wonderful things that God has called us to do. And people expect the Christians to do good things. But how about when we say, when we begin to speak the things of God? Some of us are gifted to do. Others are called to say. And it's interesting because when Stephen began to say, he began to get in trouble. Let's keep reading his story, verse 12. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. Stephen was a great man. He did wonders and signs among the people. And rightly so. He had a converted heart. He loved Jesus. He was trying to live the message that they were proclaiming. But then when he began to speak, that's when he got in trouble. Now, you and I live in the world today where they will accept your good works. But as soon as we open our mouths to say the truth, as it is in God's word, we now become part of a group of people that could be marginalized. It is scary to say the truth because we are afraid that we will be put to the side, that we will be sort of painted in a corner, And so we try to be diplomatic. We try to speak good of all to all and in all. But I get the impression that with Stephen, that wasn't the case. With Stephen, he did not speak very favorably towards the establishment. We may even be able to say that Stephen wasn't PC. Politically correct. And I must say that in an era of political hotness, it's scary not to be politically correct. And there's so many forms of political correctness. I mean, there's, uh, there's the secular political correctness. There is the church, the religious political correctness. You must say the right things in the right way, and, and maybe you'll get friends where you want them. But some of us just sort of ride the line. We stay in the middle of the fence, and that's comfortable for us. Stephen wasn't this kind of guy. They liked him when he did the things that they liked him to do. And I'm sure that he fed the widows and he took care of them and, and made their, son, well, their sons and daughters happy. But when he said the truth, that's when it became a problem. You're probably wondering, well, okay, well, what did he say? Well, they accused him 
of blasphemy. Back in verse 12, and they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. Verse 13, they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemies, blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. Verse 14, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as that of the face of an angel. The accusation in verse 14 was mostly right. Yes, Stephen was questioning the institution that they were all familiar, that, they were, that made them all comfortable. The temple, the rights of the Jews, the priesthood, all of those things that they, they felt was so important, an important part of their faith. And Stephen questioned it. As a matter of fact, Stephen was so bold to say that the Jesus Christ, that they, Jesus of Nazareth, that they killed on the cross in, in such a, like a criminal, he was the model. He was better than all the systems that they believed in. Can you imagine someone today coming and saying that? That's very controversial. That's not politically correct, my friends. But I, but I want to tell you, the Bible isn't a political correct book. God's word isn't politically correct. It doesn't want to satisfy. It doesn't want to satisfy the direction that we're going to get what we want. It's the word, living word of God. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 4. If you would come there with me, please. Hebrews chapter 4. Here, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, Paul, talks about the, the, the system that we have in Jesus. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. I warn you, as we become more like Stephen, this will be true of Hebrews chapter 4 in our life. The Bible cuts. And it's interesting that as Stephen spoke, the truth that he spoke did cut into the fabric, into the soul of the individuals that heard him. And the leaders and, and the people who were comfortable in their theology, comfortable in their spirituality, they were stirred and made uncomfortable by Stephen. What am I trying to say today? Well, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that God is offering to give us his wisdom and his spirit. But I want to warn you, it is not our wisdom or our spirit, but it is the wisdom and the spirit of God. And I want to tell you today that we've got to look, we've got to search, we've got to be hungry and thirsty for the wisdom and the spirit of God. We have to. We can't be satisfied with what we know or how we live or what, or what we've been accustomed to for years. We can't be satisfied with our traditions, my friends. We've got to be hungry for God's wisdom, His truth. Stephen was a mere deacon. He wasn't an elder. Not that back in those days that was much of a distinction. Apostle, yeah, deacon, well. So those of you who are deacons and deaconesses, just know God is calling you to have his wisdom and his spirit. So the Bible tells us they listened. As we go back to Acts chapter 5, they listened to Stephen, and they were just mesmerized by the incredible words that came from him. 
He was a man of wisdom. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke. You know, that word resist is so interesting. They were not able to resist it. The word resist in the Greek is anti-stamy. Resist. To set oneself against. To withstand. To resist. To oppose. They were not able to set themselves against the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke. And let me tell you, my friends. Today we live in a world where we've got to share and transmit the truth of God. The gospel. The three angels' message. The reality that Jesus Christ himself has lived and died for us, and he's returning. Very simple. Jesus steps into our lives today, and he restores us. He is waiting to redeem us. He loves us passionately to the grave and beyond. That is the wisdom and spirit we are called as Christians. But the world that we live in doesn't want to hear that. In today's world, there's many, many roads to happiness. Many roads to self-redemption. There are many avenues to take for peace and contentment that do not lead to God. It makes you wonder, are they really of peace and joy and happiness? Are they really restorative? makes you wonder. Therefore, because of that, we have got to Live in God's wisdom and in God's spirit. So you're probably wondering, what wisdom and spirit are you, are you talking about? Well, you have your Bible. Turn with me. Uh, our, our first, the first place I want to take you to is Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 and verse 5. Jesus here speaking. Luke 21 and verse 5. When you're there, please say amen. Luke chapter 21 and verse 5. Here Jesus talking about predicting the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. The same message that Stephen was talking about. The same message that got him in trouble. Here, uh, Jesus speaking, verse 1, what did I tell you, 5? Yes, I did. And verse 5, it says, Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and, and, and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another, that shall not be thrown down. Wow, that's some incredible wisdom. Luke chapter 21 and verse 5. If we go back to Luke chapter 12, Jesus continues to give wisdom that's beyond the comprehension of the people. Now Luke chapter 12 and verse 12. 12 and verse 12. Then he says, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you shall say. If we go to verse 11, it explains it more. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, don't worry about what you are going to say or what you should answer. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you shall say. It's amazing, isn't it? He will teach us. What is that wisdom? What is that spirit? Nobody else's wisdom or spirit but the wisdom and spirit of the Holy Spirit given through the words of Christ himself. I want to show you a picture. In 1941, a young man looked at Heinrich Himmler in the face and stared him down. Heinrich Himmler was Hitler's man to orchestrate and design the Holocaust. In his hands, they say that after you put the Jews and 
other non-Jews into the equation, more than 10 million people died in the hands and in the concentration camps. The man was a barbarian. Not even that, he was an animal. And here, this young man, they think that he was a Soviet soldier. As Himmler was coming into this prisoner of war camp, this young man stood, and you see the, the rest of his partners on the other side just sitting down. This young man stood at what it seems like in attention and looked at Himmler in the eyes. Now, mind you, one thing that Himmler did, Himmler was an occultist. He wanted to bring the, the final solution, the, the philosophy of the Nazis, to be a faith, a religion. And so in Himmler's mind, Himmler was a man of a, a, a wicked faith. So this young man stands nearly naked without his shirt and looks Himmler in the eyes and stares him down. Why? What was in the mind of this young soldier? To me, he was standing up to test and to try what was wrong. Bravery. You can sort of black that out for, for the time being. I have another that I'm going to show you at the end. Stephen was the kind of person that had that tenacity. He had the tenacity because he understood, he knew his Savior, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, because he knew Jesus Christ, he had a very incredible trait. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to go to chapter 2 and verse 6 through 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9. When you're there, say amen. Amen? Here Paul speaking says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor are the rulers of this age, if you look at Himmler, who are coming to nothing. You know, Himmler came to nothing. At the end of the war, when he saw that the war was ending, behind Hitler's back, he began to talk with the Allies to see if they can find a peaceful solution, to surrender. Hitler found out and went to arrest him, but Himmler killed himself. The rulers of this age are coming to nothing. They don't have the wisdom of God. Look at verse 7. By the way, that's not a political comment. But look at verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9. And this is where you and I have hope. For as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who... Stop. How do we get the wisdom, of this, the wisdom of God? It says it in verse 9. Read it, please. I'm just going to give you one second. Just please read it. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I like that. What a simple, simple equation to having God's wisdom, an unending love for God. I love that. Adds to faithfulness. A, a faithfulness that provides uh, holy works, holy works that are seen by our world around us as an act of faith and undying devotion that others can see and say, this person walks with Jesus Christ. 
Stephen did it. It was him. But the Bible tells us that that wasn't the end of his story. If we go back to Acts chapter 2, would you go back there with me, please? Acts chapter 2, the story did not end for Stephen. Uh, Acts chapter 5, I'm sorry. It did not end for Stephen. He was accused of blasphemy. He was accused of speaking against the religious order. What an irony. How can you speak against the God who put that religion together? He was accused of speaking against it. And they took him to the council. And in chapter 7 and verse 1, the high priest said, Are these things so? And so Stephen was given a pulpit, a microphone. He was given a computer to speak to the entire world. And he summarized for them the condition of the nation of Israel, the condition of all who believed in God. Let me summarize that for you. You see, Jesus in Luke chapter 12 tells us that when we are brought before magistrates and courts and synagogues, when we are brought before academia that does not believe in God and throws God away, he will tell, give us the words to say. And he gave Stephen the words to say. How could you possibly respond to a group of faithful individuals that are misguided in their faith? Stephen went back to God's word. Can I summarize what he said in verse chapter 7 chapter, and chapter 8? Rather, chapter 7, the entire chapter. Stephen, in verses, chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, talked about the call to Abraham. He gave the Jews their history. He gave them the proverbial proof in the pudding, the beans and the rice, the dulce leche and the flan. I don't know how else to say it. He gave it all to them. The tostones, the, the, the garlic, and I don't know. He gave them the proof. Garlic and the tostones. Anybody ever eat plantains? Come on, folks. Amen. Come on, plantains. With garlic, just don't kiss anybody afterwards. You stink. But that's what Stephen gave to them. And he gave them an an unabridged, an unadulterated history of the Jews that they could not fight against. In chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, he told them, look, let me tell you, Abraham was called by God to be the father of many nations. And through Abraham, we are now faithful. Verses 1 through 8. Verses 9 through 16, he talked about the patriarchs in Egypt. How envious patriarchs sold Joseph into slavery, but God was still with Joseph. He was talking about the different areas in the life of of that nation, of that religious people group. When they were faithless against God, Joseph sold into slavery. But in verses 17 to 36, Acts chapter 7, how God delivered Israel by Moses anyway. uh, Stephen was giving the leaders, those educated individuals, those those deacons, everybody, a history of faith. He was opening his heart to them to show them how God stepped into their history, how God redeemed them in mercy and grace, how he took them out of Egypt, how he had forever patience with them. He didn't give up. How even though they rejected him, He didn't reject them. In verses 37 to 43, how Israel then rebelled against God. How they even built, in verses 44 to 50, they built a house for God. And you got to read this one. This is a good one. 
Here, you can imagine Stephen in the shadows of that synagogue, of the temple, talking about how these people looked at buildings and worshipped the buildings instead of God. Can you imagine people worshipping churches instead of God? Red carpet, green carpet, shaggy carpet. Who cares? Now, I do have to say something. Obviously, here in Downers Grove, you care because you put money so those kids can go to Prescott. So I want to affirm you for that. But the times when we don't do that, (laughs) carpet color, pew color, so? Look at verse 44, Acts chapter 7. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our forefathers, having received it in turn, also brought with, with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the f- face of our fathers until the days of David. Here, Joe, uh, Stephen is talking about how God blessed them, how God gave them these patterns, how God allowed them to erect these buildings for him. Look at verse 46. Who, um, David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built that house. We know why. In verse 48, however, the Most High, and look at this transition. In verse 48, I want you to look at verse 48, because uh, Joseph, as a master of history, gave them the history of their people that they couldn't refute. But then he put it into all perspective. In verse 48, however, the Most High God does not dwell in temples made with hands. He doesn't dwell with temples made in, with hands. Do you know what that, that wording sounds like? It sounds like one of the commandments in Exodus chapter 20 when we are asked not to make graven images with our hands. Could it be that he was accusing the Jews of doing idolatry in the temple of God? Worshipping a building instead of the God. They did. Mercy. What an insult. What a slap in the face to these proud people. Of course, the prophet says in verse 49, don't look at these places that are made with human hands. Verse 49, but heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all of these things? And then he, he, he gave that one-two punch in verse 51. You stiff Necked people, you and circumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and not kept it. What was Joseph saying? Uh, Stephen saying. Even though all of these things are great, they are tools for God. But in the Bible, God's people usually take those tools and pervert them, make them into idols. They use them for our own good. And Stephen is saying, come on, guys, remember all the wonderful things that God has done. He allowed you to build this, build, build this incredible temple. Yes, so people from all walks of life can come and see, not that you're great, but your God is greater. So when people drive down that road, 
They don't see that the Downers Grove Church is an amazing building, but the people inside are awesome. They are wonderful. They are loving. They are graceful. They understand the true God. That's what Stephen was basically saying. And the crazy thing about the story is that they, when they heard these things in verse 4, they were cut to the heart, sounds like Hebrews chapter 4, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But once again, he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran out at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city, stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't charge this with, don't charge them with this sin. And we, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Man, this passage worries me because I'm afraid that my faith may not be that of Stephen's, that I am distracted by touching. I'm distracted by the brick and mortar of my spiritual life. I'm worried about that. The brick and mortar doesn't save me. It simply reminds me of God. For many of us today, and I think the majority of the world, the brick and mortar has been offensive because of the way the Christians act. But we've got to be like Stephen, a man of great signs and wonders, a man that when he spoke, the words that came from his mouth were words of wisdom and truth. And spirit. I was talking to oh, her name. I, I, I want to say it was Debbie. And I'm glad he's back there. I, I, I want to say it was Debbie. I was talking to Debbie this week. And if I got her name wrong, I apologize. Debbie moved here from California and she was a nurse. She's actually a nurse. Um, some of you may recognize her. Um, we, were, we were sitting at the track and field talking about um, her work for children. And she worked with children that, um, that were in the last stages of their life dying. And so and Debbie mentioned something really interesting to me. She said, you know, children die different than adults. And in many instances, she mentioned, um, ch- children were at peace. And she heard quite a few times when these children would tell her that Jesus showed them, himself to them. I believe her. I believe that. And I wonder, why children? Why children? Simple. Children have a simple faith, a love for Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to cut through much to get to the heart and the mind of a child. It's beautiful. It's amazing. What we're talking about as a Christian is the opportunity for God to get into the heart, into our hearts, into our minds. God needs you and me to be of wisdom and in spirit. But how can we do that when we have the arguments, when we hold the arguments of men, the wisdom of this age? How can we do that when we don't spend time in his word listening to that word? You and I may be called to be a Stephen one day. You may may be a Stephen already every day when you go to work. Whatever 
atmosphere you work at, whatever, whether it's an office atmosphere or it's out in the field, whatever it is, you may work in an atmosphere where every day you are the Stephen, that you proclaim, that you share the love of Jesus, maybe not only through your actions, but through your words. You may even think to yourself, there's no way that I can possibly defend my faith. I don't have the knowledge. And you know what? I think that very comment scares us. That very comment keeps us from taking the bold action to open our mouths. And the reality is this. As long as you read the word of God, as soon as you open your mouth, the Holy Spirit will take that opportunity because he's an opportunist to share what you have in your heart with others. You will be a Stephen. You don't want to be like the teenager, the know-it-all teenager on a little plane that took off. Can I tell you about him? One day, one beautiful day, four people went up in a small plane to fly. You had a, the pilot, a minister, and two te- teenagers. One of those teenagers, of course, had just won an award for being the smartest teenager in the world. I thought they were all the smartest teenagers in the world. My bad. Anyway, as they were flying along, the pilot turned to the three passengers and said, I've got some bad news for you. The bad news is this. We're out of gas. And the worst news is this. The plane's going down, and we're going to crash. And the worst, worst news is, I only have three parachutes on board. This meant, of course, that someone would have to go down with a plane. The pilot continued, I have a wife and three children at home. I have many responsibilities, so I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to take one of those parachutes. With that, he grabbed one of the chutes and jumped out of the plane. The smartest teenager in the world was next to speak. Of course, went up. I'm the smartest teenager in the world, he said. I might be the one who comes up with a cure for cancer or AIDS or solves the world's economic problems or finds the best presidential candidate. I don't know. Everyone is counting on me. The smartest teenager in the world grabbed one of the parachutes and jumped. The minister then spoke. And he said, son, to the other teenager, you take the parachute. I've made my peace with God. I am willing to go down with the plane. Now take the last parachute and go. Relax, reverend, said the other teenager. The smartest teenager in the world just jumped out of the plane with my knapsack. <laughs> I know, with his lunchbox. What? What's going on? Come on. Apparently the smartest teenager in the world didn't know enough, right? Let's not get caught being the smartest Christians in the world. Wherever we go, we've got to have Jesus with us. But don't assume that the book bag behind you or the thing in your pocket, that you're ready for that. Don't assume that you already carry God with you. Because the Jews, the Christians, in Stephen's time, thought they had it. And at the end, they were enraged. They lost control. I challenge you to be a Stephen. May I finish with Stephen's last days on earth. I want to read it again. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
and he was looking at God. Are you ready for that? God bless you, my friends. Just be a Stephen.